I don't even re- remember when that came up, but I guess I will when I listen to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis. I'm Thad Hate. And this week we're going to talk about Season 1, Episode 15, Singularity. Um, the synopsis from TB Guide is a really long one, comparatively speaking. I was kind of surprised because I, I, I handwrite all of them uh, to reread later, but... Wh- why? So I don't have another screen in front of my face, and then we started doing this shared document, so I have another screen in front of my face. <laughs> so... <laughs> The synopsis from TV Guide, Carter is torn when the team learns that a young girl, the lone survivor of a planet devastated by disease, has been implanted with a bomb in a ghouled attempt to destroy the Stargate. (sighs) Again with the major spoilers, TV Guide. Yeah, I I, I mean, what, uh, I suppose the first half of the sentence... Everything up until has been implanted with a bomb and then just end it in a different way so as to avoid uh, I mean, spoilers. The the team finds uh, an entire planet is wiped out and the team brings a lone survivor back with them or something something like that maybe would be better. But even I mean yeah because it's not you can't really go with the spoiler the entire planet is wiped out because that that happens in the first ten minutes so that's fine. Right. But yeah, revealing that it's a that it's both a bomb and a go old plot is you know that happens later in the episode it does happen later in the episode but let's talk about what happens at the beginning of the episode because so as we record this i don't know when you're actually going to hear this for the first time (laughs) oh yes no the the coincidence uh, was definitely not lost on me either but as we record this it is august 24th so the major eclipse event across north america has just occurred mm-hmm. on Monday the 18th of August. Um, you mean the On 21st. Monday the 21st <laughs> of August. <laughs> wow, man. So, yeah, no, so the, coincident, uh, the, the coincidence of it all was pretty entertaining. But I do want to talk about real quick, since it's in the air, how was your Eclipse experience? Did you have glasses? I did not. Uh, I didn't really think about glasses until when everyone else started thinking about glasses so there were none to be had no about the same i thought i found some to be had and paid money and i'm pretty sure even received a shipping confirmation and all of this was a couple of weeks ago A couple Mm. of weeks before the eclipse i haven't received the glasses yet so editor's note I never actually did receive the Eclipse glasses. This is now two months later. <laughs> and I double-checked. I never got charged for them. Hey, well, at least you never got charged for them. Did you order them from Amazon? No, I got oh, them okay. from uh, another site that was one of the six or five or six uh, NASA-approved vendors. Ah, because I know Amazon had a big issue with a lot of counterfeit ones. So, like, a whole bunch of them disappeared overnight from Amazon. Yes, I was concerned about the counterfeit ones and so opted to try and get them from the source. So what I did do, I went outside at the height of the eclipse. And here it was only an 80% coverage. And I looked at the sun using the selfie camera on my phone. Mm-hmm. And it was a slightly dimmer version of the sun. It was basically, it wasn't, and I did take a picture. And it wasn't until a couple hours later when I was looking at the picture that I noticed 
there was a, there's actually a tiny little uh, flare on the screen of the partially obscured sun. Like okay. the sun itself behind me just looks <laughs> like a dim sun, but then the, like there's like a a lens flare on my cheek that is the sun with a bite taken out of it. Oh, okay. So where I'm at down near Atlanta, we were at ninety five, ninety eight percent. I, oh, I suppose okay. uh, much more significant. Uh, northern atlanta maybe southern south carolina was on the path of totality right so we we, you know we we got a pretty good thing of it uh i ended up quickly mocking together a pinhole projector Mm -hmm. to to use for it because the selfie camera wasn't working like well this doesn't work i need a cardboard box oh look cardboard boxes all over where i work because this has been Stuart and Thad talking about Eclipses Weekly. (laughs) But to get back to our episode of Stargate, they are headed to this planet, which they never tell us the name of, right? No, they do. It's on that weird sign. But they never say it. They never say, you know, we're headed to P3X9YQ or something. It's Hanka, I think it was the name. That's what I saw as well. It was named for someone on the production team. Okay. Um, So they're headed to this planet. Stargate Weekly. Okay. So they're headed to this planet because... Some way, somehow, they figured this planet was going to be in a position where they could build an observatory Mm -hmm. to witness a black hole at the same time as a full eclipse. Right, because there would be no sunlight to block it out. Correct. And as they're prepping to leave, Jack chimes in to tell them that... Actually, it's called the accretion disk. Yep, and that's because Jack is, is, at least at this point, still an astronomy buff. Yeah, but I feel like they missed the opportunity later in the episode when he's explaining to Teal'c what a black hole is exactly mm. for him to actually be able to give like a solid definition of what a black hole is exactly because yeah. it's not well, basically it's a massive hole as he says not really no it's uh, it's a star that's collapsed in on itself yes and has formed a ultra dense mass yep he was right about it sucking up everything even light though it does suck up all of the things even light if only light hit was was a wave and not a particle i suppose i don't know i mean i guess it forms a hole in gravity ish. that's ish i'm not an astrophysicist nor do i play one on tv i too am not a black holeologist that's so true so hey editor again i spoke with my friend who is actually an astrophysicist. And she tells me that no, a black hole is not like a hole in gravity, not even ish. She relayed to me the same thing that I have heard in the past, and you can find if you look up black holes at any semi-respectable source of information, that if you picture it like a giant sheet, ideally made out of rubber, and then imagine that a black hole is a BB made out of like a neutron star (laughs) then it sinks an infinitely deep well into the rubber but because it's rubber there'll be a slope to it so it's not like punching a hole through gravity not even even ish so there okay so before we you know get into our full episode breakdown i do want to say that this 
episode definitely had, I feel, more humor than others so far this season. Oh, yeah. Uh, also had some feels, mm-hmm. but uh, mostly I, I was pretty happy with the banter and the and the wit and the humor of it all. Yeah, no, they've got the, they have the team dynamic down a lot better by this episode. Yes. So do you want to take us through? Do you just want to sort of jump around and talk about what, what, uh, what, what stood out to you? I really want to complain about the sign. Do it. Why is there a sign? Yeah. What is, what possible reason was there to make this sign? That's fair. Yeah. Especially if it's a temporary outpost just there to view the eclipse. That's my point. And why would it be so close to the gate? I I could see a sign being just outside the temporary facility. Yeah. Like, that whole sign, like, it bothers me. Because there's no reason for it. Because no one who's going through the Stargate to visit the observatory doesn't already know that the observatory is there. I mean, unless they're near T. That's true. And now they have a convenient sign that says, oh, hey, the tall rear here. So it was in my head that near T was a woman. You are correct. Near T is a Hindu goddess of the deathly realms and sorrows. They definitely refer to near T as a man in the yes. episode. Though. Yes, Teal'c does. Uh, Teal'c does. I knew someone did. Teal'c does. Teal'c makes sense because Teal'c's the one that has met near T. Or at least is aware of Nirti. Has experienced Nirti. <laughs> that sounds dirty. It does, but no, no, that's it. It does. <laughs> so anyway. That's right. <laughs> so the team, they come out of the gate, they see the ridiculous sign, and mm-hmm. where's SG-7? No one knows. They start walking down the road, and they come to a dead farmer. Jack rolls the dead farmer over, and then freaks out a little bit. So... Do you know military protocol enough to know if MOP4 is a real thing? So MOP is mission-oriented protective posture. So yes, it is a real thing. I have to imagine that it comes in multiple stages, MOP4 being a stage that involves putting on the masks but not the full suit. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that they carry hazmat, like the the masks around with them. I mean, I guess the packs are huge, but still. I mean, A, the packs are huge, and you have to imagine that at any given point, they're probably deploying with the expectation that they're not going to be on their own for any more than 48 hours tops. (laughs) So let's fill our big packs with other useful things like, say, mop gear and med kits. When they're going to a, you know, an exploration mission to a planet they've never been to, sure. In this case, it was supposed to be a routine operation to visit an observatory. Hmm. Okay, I see your argument there. I mean, obviously, they were there because plot, but mm-hmm. anyway. And apparent, and I'm guessing, like, some, like, the stuff that Jack rubs all over his hands is some sort of, like, antibacterial thing of some sort. Oh, yeah, no, it's gotta be, like, top secret special forces super soap. Or something. Right. Or as he puts it later. Yeah, but I wash my hands right away. And then Jackson sneezes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Allergies, right? Right. Right? Like I said, you know, little bits of humor. They're hitting their stride. Yeah. It's feeling good. Mm-hmm. So they find all the dead bodies at the base. We cut to the opening sequence or commercial or something. Doesn't matter. And then we get. Other people from the SGC coming through, including, of course, Dr. Fraser, Mm -hmm. to quarantine things down. So when they're walking to the observatory and then later when Jack and Teal are escaping it, they're in 
hazmat suits. Mm-hmm. But inside the observatory, they are not. So I guess they figured out a way well, to... Well, the first... I don't know what they did, but actually the first thing Fraser says is this whole room has been this whole room has been sterilized or clean, cleaned or something. This complex has been totally decontaminated. Okay, I apparently didn't notice that either time. Disinfected, actually, it may have been what she said. But I still thought that was weird that they were able to do that. And that they would do that before first checking to see if SG-1 was infected. I mean, I can't speak to... Priorities, man. Yeah. They need a place to work, and they don't fully understand the nature of what they're dealing with, so they need to make sure that they themselves, their equipment, etc., doesn't also get tainted, I guess is the best word I can think of. I suppose, yeah. I I don't know how they went about sterilizing the area. It could have just been, we brought a bunch of really high-power UV lamps. UV is still a pretty great way of killing bacteria. Right, but they don't even know it's bacteria yet. And all kinds of things. I don't know, does UV kill viruses? I don't know, it kills your eyeballs, that's why I need the special glasses to look at the eclipse. That's true. I don't think anything kills viruses. I mean, surely something must. Mm, I mean, something may, but I don't think we've found it yet. Are you saying that fire wouldn't kill them? I don't actually know. It might, but I don't know. I'm not a... Well, a virologist is a real thing. Virologist is a real thing, sorry buddy. (laughs) Virusologist, there we go. No, just give up (laughs) very few things kill viruses and they clearly fire is a moot point because they didn't burn down and then rebuild the observatory you don't know that (laughs) i suppose that is true so after they got done rebuilding the observatory (laughs) sg1 suit up in hazmat gear sans tioku obviously as a jaffa fears no things and is immune to all the things, apparently. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any way of testing or proving or verifying this. Yeah, I've, that's always kind of bothered me. Also, there's an episode of season two where Teal'c totally comes down with some sort of really bad space disease. I look forward to discussing that once we get there. Yeah. Neither of us will remember that we brought it up. Of course not. Hopefully, our devoted listeners will remind us. Mm. So off they go to, I, I, yeah, I guess they're just out there to count and tag bodies, uh, but accidentally find a live one. I'm not entirely sure why they were out there tagging bodies. They needed to get a count. Uh, I don't know if they ever took a proper census when SG-7 first rolled in, so I don't know if they're 1,432, if I recall the number correctly, uh, deceased people that they tag, according to Dr. Frazier, was everyone that seems like a low number for a whole planet well that happens on stargate a lot is it's just like there's usually just like the one town on the planet which just is is not how planets work or people for that matter right it it, it seems exceptionally unlikely that an entire planet i don't care what size let's say it's no bigger than our moon i don't know how it's a full-blown planet with crops and atmosphere but okay whatever only had 1432 people well 1428 people because sg7 that's four people on it well yeah. that's not how this works yeah no there there have to be other towns elsewhere on the planet that just that's not even a large enough like i don't even think there's a large enough number of people to sustain a species no i don't think it is i, I don't know for sure I want to say that most of the numbers that I've... I I have seen things in the past that have said something to the effect of that 
there have been points where the human race dwindled down to something close to 10,000. Yeah. And obviously that was sufficient. I know that most realistic plans for colonizing Mars calls for something on, on the order of multiple hundreds of thousands of people to one million to ensure genetic diversity, a sufficient spread of skills and abilities and just the random stuff that comes up when you're colonizing a planet, like just people dying, shoveling stuff. It happens. Right. So, 1,432. It's just not very many people. Like, and that's a lot of tags, too, right? Yeah, see, it's not that many people, but at the same time, it would take a long time to tag all of them. How many SG teams who are diverted from their important work of just stepping onto planets being like, yep, it's another alien planet, and walking back to the SGC <laughs> in order to, to tag all these these people? They weren't even tagging their toes, too. What the heck kind of Mickey Mouse operation is the SGC running here? Uh, you know. Yeah, it did seem a little shoddy, especially because, like... Especially when you think about it, they probably didn't really have to tag all these people in the first place. But if they're going to do it, do the job, right? For real. So. Yeah, goods back on track, please. <laughs> as, as they're tagging the people, uh, the little girl in the bushes steals a tag from a body and then hides in the bushes. And seems to be afraid of the people in their, in, uh, you know, hazmat suits. Mm-hmm. So they send Tealkin. Jack tells him to try to be not threatening, and he does a really good job. Like, definitely, like, very gentle. He has a child. I suppose that's true. He knows what's up. He's, I mean, I, I doubt he receives sensitivity training as first prime of Apophis, but... That's what I'm saying. Maybe the SGC taught him a thing or two. You don't know, man. So, anyway, he brings out the girl, and they go back to the observatory where Fraser checks her out. She does, and declares that she is healthy but she has naquita in her blood this is the first time that we see the word naquita in stargate Shuan. i didn't see it well here fine yeah you know what i mean i did yes it is the first time that it has come up um up until now they they just call it the element the stargate is made from or made of a mineral you know some mineral things of that nature so i wonder what the atomic weight of naquita is it's not a real thing you know that, right? Well, if it's an element, though, it has to have an atomic weight that would be different from any other element's atomic weight. That's true. If it were real. Which means it must be pretty darn high. I suppose that's true. Unless maybe it's kind of like um, like coal and diamonds. Maybe it's just a different arrangement of an element we already have. Mm. Given, yeah, no, that's very true. Given how reactive it is to other things, I suppose could be a different arrangement of, say, sodium. Sodium is pretty reactive. Well, yeah, it'll burst into flame if you look at it wrong. True. So, she has Naquita in her blood, which they think is kind of weird, and Fraser speculates is what kept her from getting sick in the first place. Right. So the entire area is affected, even the soil. How? And then later they say that the whole planet, and how would they know? Very good question. It's not like they could interview anybody. It is not like they have uh, ships or, like, you know, little shuttles or something they can fly around the planet on. They do have shuttles, and I hear they are formidable. These shuttles, they are a formidable craft. That's future knowledge. Yes, in 1997, the shuttle was future knowledge. I know what you're saying, but... <laughs> yeah, uh, so the 
the girl is has an attachment to Sam mm-hmm. in the most literal fashion. And because Sam is suggesting that, that someone needs to stay behind to watch the eclipse. It's a big deal. It is. And uh, with how much the girl likes Sam, Jack's like, well, you're not staying. So Jack and Teal hang back to do the stargazing thing. Yes, I think Teal technically volunteered first. Not that it matters. Teal did volunteer first, and then Jack yes. said he would stay as well. And that's when we later, once we jump back and forth a couple of times, get to Jack rudimentarily explaining black holes, which is fine. Who the heck knows what kind of founding and science and astronomy Jaffa get? at Apophis Make Things Blow Up Academy. Mm. I feel like Jaffa might learn about black holes just because they're a thing. Yes, but maybe that's only for the navigators at the Apophis School for for Jaffa who want to learn to read good and do other things good too. (laughs) Well, Teal'c went there because he can read various dialects of gold. Yes. Well, he was first prime, man. It's true. Have they actually yet told us that he's first prime? I believe so, yes. So speaking of them not doing things and not to cut literally all the way to the end, but did you see the end credits? Were you paying attention? No. Did you see where they said technician Gary Jones? I did not, so he doesn't have a name yet. Still doesn't have a name. Technician? (laughs) That's an insult. (laughs) They just haven't given him a name yet, man. I mean, I'm so happy that we have Walter on the episode. Kevin McNulty's character has a name. But uh, exactly. But it was but that happiness was tempered once I got to the end credits and saw a technician <laughs> Gary Jones. Cuz I don't think I don't think he had a name in the last episode he was in. Uh the doctor. You think he was just called doctor? I don't remember him them giving him a name in the last episode. I also didn't remember that he was in multiple episodes. I looked him up on IMDb. He's actually in four episodes. No, I know. You made a point of saying, I don't know if he's going to be on any more episodes of SG-1 the first time that he was on an episode of SG-1. <laughs> but yes, Kevin McNulty is back for his second of four appearances, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it- I was I was surprised because yeah I mean it's cool for their um you know continuity thing going on yes uh what is Kevin McNulty's character's name do you remember I didn't write it down Doctor Warner Doctor Warner I want to say yeah I have it written down here somewhere let's just do that so Doctor Warner still being a maverick in the operating room mm-hmm he's uh, just just uh, poking Frazier it. says pull uh, pull back he's like nah just a little more right yeah no just poking. Poking at the thing in the girl's chest. What is, like... Uh, I was surprised when she crashed, she wasn't like, ah, it's probably not related to anything I'm doing. Right? (laughs) (laughs) That same basic thought ran through my head as to whether or not they would do that again. (laughs) We neglected to mention that we passed right right by the point where the girl starts speaking again. Oh, by the way, she hasn't been speaking this whole time. Right. And her name is Cassandra. Her name is Cassandra. Um... Which I'm going to come back to in a little bit. Okay. She never shrieks. No, she doesn't. So what I want to touch on is when Sam is sitting with her and Cassandra is painting a rather grim scene, really. Um, Yes. They're eating hot dogs. And Sam has clearly been influenced by Jack. Did you notice this? I did not. Oh, she does Chicago style. She does a Chicago style. I mean, they're not Chicago style buns. But she just does the mustard without the ketchup. Correct. Chicago-style buns are basically just like pure poppy seed. I don't think there's any bread there. I think it's just all poppy seed all the way through or something. (laughs) It's basically a hoagie roll. A poppy seed-covered hoagie roll is, uh, from my experience, like a a more proper 
Chicago Chicago style hot dog bun. Chicago just does food weird. Yes, yes, they do. Honestly, I like Chicago, like proper Chicago style pizza, better than regular pizza. If only because it like forces me to only eat a slice or two. Right, because with that much crust, how else are you gonna eat it? There's not that much crust. It's like a pie, man. It's like an inch deep. Same reg- like the the crust is about the same thickness as a regular I, pizza, maybe a little like, bit. When I had Chicago style pizza. It had thick crust as well as being super deep. I mean, it's thick-ish. Okay, I'll allow that, but it's probably no thicker than like a pan pizza. Oh, that's fair. But it's also just you know, it's just all cheese. It's just you know, it's like an inch of cheese. Not seeing the problem. No, I'm not either. It's especially great when it's cold. It's wonderful. Ugh. You and your cold pizza. Oh, cold pizza is the best. Uh, at Tyrannicus, if you want to tell them, hashtag cold pizza is best. Anyway. Yes. Where are we in this episode? We're talking about how Sam eats uh, eats her hot dog sort of Chicago style. She's got, yeah. she's got the ketchup bottle right next to the mustard bottle and just, nah, no ketchup for me, which is wrong ketchup's amazing well you know me i don't put any any condiments in my hot dogs okay man just <sighs> sometimes cheese okay but you don't put chili so i don't like chili <sighs> it's just meat suspended in stew basically it's amazing nah. this has nothing to do with stargate why'd you get us off to- why did you start talking about chili man you're the one who brought up chili nah. <laughs> anyway so, and then so Sam shows her how to how to eat a hot dog, and Cassandra, wanting to be different, just eats a plain hot dog, not even in a bun. I don't know if she wants to be different. Let's not ascribe her motivation, okay? All right. But anyway, so let's get back to uh, Kevin McNulty poking poking at the thing inside of her chest. Oh, by the way, she's a thing inside of her chest. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so she starts talking, and then promptly complains about chest the pain she has a pain i think she says like uh, i hurt i hurt yes that's what it is yes we cut to dr fraser sam explains where the hurt is coming from and dr fraser points out that she has low potassium she should eat a banana bananas actually aren't all that high in potassium no i know we so thad and i if you haven't picked up on it yet, are very good friends. We've known each other for a very long time. We have another mutual friend who studied nutrition. I, I am hesitant to call him a full nutritionist, if only because I feel like if I did, like he would know that I had done that and would tell me that, no, I'm wrong. He's not a nutritionist. <laughs> he would totally do that. Right, no, because he respects that job titles such as that come with they require a background and an education and experience that he doesn't have, and he doesn't want to demean or belittle any given job title by claiming it without having earned it, I suppose, is the closest I can come up with his perspective. But anyway, he and I had a kind of funny conversation on our way down to vacation uh, where he he went on a brief rant about, I guess it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids he was blaming it on for how it came into the zeitgeist that bananas are chock full of potassium and if you need any amount of potassium find yourself a bushel of bananas and just just throw them down your throat yeah i mean bananas do have potassium in them but so does like almost every food actually apparently tomatoes are kind of you know they're the real heroes i just remember because um when my mother was on a restricted diet uh, before she got a new kidney 
she was supposed to avoid as much potassium as possible, and that like meant like three quarters of foods were just things she wasn't supposed to eat. Sucks. Yeah. So anyway, Cassandra has low potassium, and she needs to eat like twenty bananas. Ugh! Could you imagine eating twenty bananas? Be awesome for the first like sixteen bananas. I like bananas as much as the next guy, but I think my max is probably at ten bananas. I don't think I could get more than that. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> so she can't find anything else wrong with her so they start to they get up to leave mm-hmm. which i feel like there could have been more tests she could have run but whatever could have been and cassandra collapses she does so then they have to revive her and there's some continuity issues with her shirt changing position quite a bit throughout this scene but you know that that happens. They did different takes and all that. Uh, I mean, uh, the main thing I was noticing in that whole sequence was just all the quick cuts. You know, mm-hmm. the, the hands moving around and putting down the leads and the defibrillator and the this and the that and the what's the thing called the the hooky thing that go down that goes down the person's throat when they're uh, intubating. The uh, it probably has a real name, but I've always just heard it called a trach. No, the trach is the pokey thing that pokes him in the thing, isn't it? Mm. Or, like, isn't it also known as, like, the procedure is called a trach? That might be it, yeah. I mean, which is short, obviously, for trachea or tracheotomy or yes. something to that effect. Yes. But I've I've definitely heard the tube called, called a trach. Not before. the tube, but there's, like, a special tool. It's, like, a hooked, curved thing. Think, like, a shoehorn, but for the throat, so that they can run the tube down the throat. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what that's... I don't know. I'm sure it has a name. When she's revived, Mm -hmm. when she does come back to breathing on her own and heart beating, uh, her heartbeat sounds really weird. Yeah, like she's got a robot on her chest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, doesn't everyone? I have two robots. Well, la-dee-da. Yeah. Steward two robots. <laughs> yes, I got the reference. I know you did. So, yeah, they detect the robot, and that's when Kevin McNulty, Dr. Warner, yes, gets called in to poke at it. And I'm actually kind of surprised they brought in the same actor for continuity, especially when you only ever see, like, a quarter of his face. Yeah, but you can hear his voice, and it's that's a true. relatively distinctive voice. It is. So he's poking at it, and they are running various tests on it, and you know, let's just jump forward to the part where Sam is showing Jack's son, I keep doing that, this special room deeper in the mountain that's lined with lead. And when she's first talking about how it's lined with lead, I knew she was going to get to the point of, like, there's going to be a big explosion. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember very much from this episode, and I don't think I was remembering the big explosion, but just based on what she was talking about and me being me it's like okay she we're leading up to a big to some sort of explosion what the hell good is lead gonna do i don't remember this scene at all as in on your rewatch or right like now, at all as we're talking either okay so sam is showing jackson a remote feed from this room deeper in the mountain, where there's these two robot arms, each of which has a microscopic oh, particle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now I remember. Each of which has a microscopic particle as opposed to a non-microscopic particle? Macroscopic. <sighs> particle? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Of Naquita and potassium, because they're saying that this thing inside Cassandra's chest is, like, half Naquita, half potassium, 
but never the the twain shall meet somehow. They're divided by a slowly degrading fatty tissue. That's it, thank you. And she's showing once the fatty tissue finishes degrading away, this is what's going to happen. And... Big bada boom. Big bada big boom. Mm -hmm. Then Sam says, and just, um, you know, if... The thing inside her chest does this, it'll be a nuclear reaction, but a million times bigger. So I have a couple of problems with this, which you, and you've already picked up on at least one of them. Mm-hmm. It's not a nuclear reaction, for one. Not necessarily a nuclear reaction. <laughs> and for two, she can't possibly begin to estimate the yield of either the explosion that just occurred or the explosion that may possibly occur... If Sandra's yep. chest goes big, bada boom, big, big, bigger, bada er, boomer. Speaking about explosions in chests, yes, I'm gonna jump to the very end of the episode just because Do this it. has been bugging me. Yeah, they never explain why it doesn't go boom. Right? They never explain why it doesn't go boom. They have like a countdown clock somehow. Like my guess is it was never designed to go boom except through using the Stargate, which they totally could have said, but they don't. Yeah, they could have been like, it's weird. It seems like it's waiting for some sort of further activation trigger. Yeah. Yeah. But no. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Getting back to that, though. So we cut forward to them realizing she has a bomb in her chest and they need to get it to a safe location. And Jack, we're going to, we'll, we'll come back to this maybe. But Jack says something to the effect of, hey, what about the moon? And General Hammond picks up on it and says, yeah, no, of course, that's a great idea. It's only 20 minutes away. How safe could it be if it's only 20 minutes away? Well, it's like super deep. They don't tell us that at the time. They just say it's only 20 minutes away, which is convenient for being able to get her there. But also, this is a million times bigger than a nuclear explosion. No, no, it's a million times bigger than the explosion that happened in the room deeper in the mountain that they saw on camera. I still feel like it might they still might not be safe at the mountain. It's like the size of a million rooms. Mm. Mm. Which again, she can't estimate because no, she's not a, a nuclear physicist. She's sort of a, seems like a... She's an astrophysicist. She's more of an astrophysicist and sort of like a grab bag scientist, but mostly an astrophysicist. Well, you know, that's just how TV shows work. Sure. Scientists are scientists. Right. Just like doctors are doctors. Yes. So they figure out that she has the bomb in her chest, getting back to this. And they decide that she needs to get out of the mountain. So obviously this letter sent her back to the planet. And Mm -hmm. we cut back to the planet where the eclipse is happening. Yeah. And they see a gold ship, which is the first time we see a Hatak-class gold ship. Or any gold ship, for that matter, on the show. We haven't seen it. Unless you count the gliders as ships. I was about to say, we're not going to count the the death gliders? Mm. Yeah, fair enough. But they don't call it a Hatak. No. We, it, that won't happen until later, but it is definitely a Hatak. No, no, it's totally a, a, an Hatak. So getting back to Stuart and Thad talking about Eclipses Weekly, mm-hmm. based on what I have been reading about people who experienced the proper totality, and this might be different because they're seeing it through a telescope rather than on the ground on the planet where it's happening. Mm-hmm. But, man, some of the takes I have been reading about experiencing the totality... <sighs> 2024 i need yeah no, i need that. to be on the line man i gotta be right there when it's happening let's uh let's get a campsite uh up, up near erie heck yeah oh, is, oh it's gonna cross over there yep nice yes do it um i want to say there's actually like some point in kentucky that is supposed to be like slightly better but everyone's gonna know this by then yeah and i've 
I mean, Kentucky, sure, but yeah, if I can get there without even leaving the state. <laughs> you know, hearing about these people who are talking about how they're just, like, standing there and all of a sudden they see the shadows approaching. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what's, what's, uh, what kind of disappoints me is that it's over within a minute or two. Yeah, but based on what I've been reading, I don't know if I'd want it to last any longer than that. <laughs> it's apparently a really serious, like, like psychological experience for some people. Mm. Honestly, I was disappointed at how still freaking bright 80% or 20% of the sun's light is. It, I mean, it didn't get, like, nighttime dark where I was, but the temperature dropped a solid maybe 10 degrees, and it got really dim. See, here it was just... Eh, it was slightly less bright than usual. Hmm. But, of course, it was... I guess that last, like, 15% really makes a difference for you. It's a big deal, man. Yeah. So they see the talk, but don't call it that. Mm. And then I guess they... No, I, uh, Tilt calls it a gold attack class vessel, I think. I can't remember if he said class. He may have just said attack vessel. It is a gold attack vessel. I don't remember now. Doesn't matter. But then they also notice two things come, a few things to a few. I couldn't, it's kind of grainy. Yeah. Come out of the attack. And Tilt says they must leave. Yes, they must. But not before Jack takes a couple of minutes to get on the hazmat suit. Mm-hmm. So during this process, they're at the SGC. They're talking about how they need to uh, they need to take Cassandra back through the gate mm-hmm. so she doesn't blow things up at on Earth. Right. And Daniel says they the gold and he says golds again, but he said they use this little girl like a Trojan horse, which is a little ironic given the fact that she's named Cassandra. Yes, because Cassandra was on the other side of anyway. No, that no, I, I needed you to explain it. I I did actually. Okay, like for me. The only language I have to Cassandra in my head is shrieking. Oh, where's the shrieking come from? Isn't it like a shrieking Cassandra or something? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Which one am I thinking of? I don't know. Cassandra was the daughter of the King of Troy. Okay. Uh, And she was cursed with the power of prophecy, but no one but no one would believe what she said. Ah. So she she was she actually prophesied the downfall of Troy, but no one believed her. Hmm. But anyway, so it's not like, obviously, it's not a perfect metaphor. It's just ironic that Daniel would say they used her like a Trojan horse when, you know, Cassandra actually was a character in that whole story. Yes, it's actually almost a shame that they didn't have fun with that a little bit more. Yeah. But, oh well. So we cut back to Jack and Teal, mm-hmm. who are escaping the planet. And Jack keeps diving into bushes and getting almost blown up. I feel like they could should have just kept running. My perspective is, how is the hazmat suit holding up to all this, man? There's also that. You know, it doesn't take much to totally make it ineffective. Really just any hole at all. Yeah, pretty much. You know, they're getting blown up, they're being chased by the death gliders, but still we have a minute for Teal to tell us some more bad things about Nearty and... And, well, that's how Jack will know that Cassandra is a bomb. Yes, a bomb, not the bomb. I'm sure Cassandra's cool and is going to be popular at school later and all that jazz, but... And that seemed like a slight amount of... uh, I mean, obviously with what we, the viewer, knew, that made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But Jack and Teal didn't know about the mass in her body or the fact that she actually does have an explosive inside her. Right. So the fact that they made that leap seemed a little implausible. Only survivor on the planet has inside of her... The mineral that makes up the Stargates, which up until this point, they only have Jackson's theory that it wasn't the Gould who built the Stargate system. 
They don't have a hundred percent hard proof of it yet, but also, I mean, I'm I'm sure they have. Also... And we do find out later that the Gould actually have Naquita in their blood too. No, they even bring that up on this one where they're saying that they that she definitely doesn't have a Gould in her. So they already know this. They already know that the Gould have Naquita in their system. Yeah. So yeah, they would for right Kowalski and Teal's right. So. You know, you put all that together, and I'll allow all right. that logical leap. All right, all right. So they, uh, Jack and Teal'c dial in j- right before uh, Walter finishes dialing out, or I'm sorry, the technician, technician finishes dialing out. <laughs> That's right, unfortunately. And Jack's saying, "Get her away from the gate." So this is when they talk about going to the abandoned nuclear facility, and. There they go, to the abandoned nuclear facility, which is only 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Down Samantha goes, the really long elevator ride with Cassandra. Yep. And she leaves her there and starts to go back up and then realizes she can't leave her behind and goes back down and goes to hug Cassandra and then straight up lies to her. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, like I feel like, I don't know whether that's the right parenting decision, but if it is, I would be a terrible parent because in that situation, I would totally say, yes, we're going to die. Right. I mean, you only have to live with that truth for like another minute, or, like another few seconds anyway, right? right? So that's fine. It just, yeah, that that just bugged me. Yeah. And then there's no explosion, but there's no explanation as to why there's no explosion. Nope. <sighs> <laughs> and we'll see if in later episodes they ever tell us, but they probably won't. They probably won't. Because Cassandra does reappear. Yes. At least twice. That sounds... Possibly more. That sounds right. I can think of two off the top of my head. But I don't know if there are more. Okay. Uh, and then uh, we have the, the scene where Jack gives her Doug. Mm-hmm. And then we get to where Cassandra is talking with Sam, and Cassandra looks over and sees some swings sitting How does still. How she know they're fun? Right? That's exactly what, yeah, that's, that's that's right where I was going. They look like fun. They're sitting still. I mean, swings are fun, but unless she saw other kids playing on them, how does she even know what they do? And how would she even know, unless she also saw the other kids, you know, sort of like laughing and jumping off and swinging too high and therefore like getting that rush mm. that actually like produces the fun, uh, would know that, the, the, that fun is there to be had. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, at least Sam didn't lie to her then. Yeah, no, those aren't fun at all. No, exactly. No, swings are, swings are dumb. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And then we get to the credits where we find out Gary Jones, technician. <laughs> I'm not salty. You're salty. I mean, I'm a little salty too, but not as much as you. You're, like, very upset about this, it seems. Very upset about this. Okay, so what, you know, so is this an episode that you usually skip? Is this one that you've watched sure recently? It's one that I have sometimes skipped. Mm-hmm. Um, but... No, I've seen this a few times. I knew, I remembered what happened for the most part. Okay. I, you know, I really enjoyed it a lot. Certainly more than the last episode. Oh, jeez. Um, but no, I, you know, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought, especially because of all the humor in it, the, the interplay amongst the team, it's, it's a good, solid, representative Stargate episode. Mm-hmm. It is. If you, They've definitely hit their groove at this point. Mm-hmm. If you were to pick some episodes from season one just to introduce someone to what Stargate is and everything and what it's going to be, this should definitely be on the list. Yeah. Along with uh, Thor's Hammer and the Torment of Tantalus. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can discuss it at the end of this oh, season. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have an end of season roundup. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about season one, episode 16, Core Eye. And if you were following on the DVDs, uh, 
episodes 15 and 16 are swapped. Because I realized this about five minutes into Korra, I'm like, wait, wasn't I supposed to be watching Singularity? So if you also experience this, you're not alone. <laughs> uh, if you want to find us in various places on the internet, we're there. Yeah. I am at Gamicus on Twitter. I am at Tyrannicus, and you can find the Stargate Weekly is at Stargate Weekly, or our Facebook page, Stargate Weekly. And you can get to our website, which is also stargateweekly.com. We locked this down. And if you want to send us an email, you can email us at stargateweekly at gmail.com. There you go. See, that's all you ever need to know is just Stargate Weekly. Pretty much. You don't need anything else in your life. And the podcast, we totally have always called this podcast Stargate Weekly. Obviously. There was never any time where it wasn't called Stargate Weekly. I don't know what you're talking about. And we've always been, been at war with Kelowna. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in a week. Yeah.